Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today. Visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. There, you will find a full list of our broadcasts from all across the technology spectrum, our social media handles, and related content. So sit back with Dave and Jacqueline as they serve up Technology Expresso, fast, hot, and intense. Hello, hello, Technology Expresso listeners. This is Jacqueline Sanders Blackman. Welcome to our afternoon edition and our continuing series on Ask an Analyst. Let me uh, let me make that plural. Analyst, just is whatever the case may be. Anyway, <laughs> just being a little silly here. Um, this is Jacqueline, and I'm here with Coop. Hey, Coop, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks again. I, you know. It's been a few weeks since we've been together, so this is nice. Exactly, it's like a reunion. <laughs> but you know, and, and that's a you know perfect setup because one of the things is we've been out and about. We've been you've been to a conference or two, and uh, yeah. got a few more lined up this year. Uh, I've been out and about working with clients and customers, and both in the training realm, coaching. Uh, and even doing some really intense workshops. And so that's all great material and experience that we're bringing back to our audience to share with them what we're hearing and seeing and experiencing um, and and what some of the hot trends are. So I'm really excited. And, uh, yes, from time to time we have to juggle our our, uh, show schedule around, but just know that we're going out there getting the real-world uh, real deal experience out there and making that part of the show and, and sharing that with you. So we're very excited. We thank everybody for joining us today. Um, whatever time zone you're in, maybe for some it's uh, uh, early morning, others it might be lunch, and others it may be later uh, in the evening. But regardless, thank you for joining us. And know that our show is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions. So I just want to cue that up early on. If you are on your laptop, you can dial in at 714-888-7506 and press 1, and you'll be in our caller queue. And our system engineer, Jovan Grant, uh, will touch base with you, get you queued up, and you can ask your questions or provide your comments. So I just want to say that early on. Um, and, um, again, everyone, thank you for listening Anyone who's already on the phone, whenever you're ready to ask that question, just press 1. So with that, Coop, why don't you tell us about the many adventures of Coop, what you've been up to, um, what are some of the things that you're hearing in your explorations? Okay, so I assume you're asking about, you know, business analysis, agile-related yeah. stuff, not the uh, the other stuff going yeah, on you, in my life. You probably life. could go in all sorts of di- directions yeah. as well. But yeah, a, yeah, let's start with that. That's another radio station or another radio right. show. <laughs> no. so, <laughs> so, you know, the last week, um, 
had the great opportunity to attend and speak at the uh, Agile 2016, which is the Agile Alliance uh, annual conference here in the U.S. And it was in Atlanta, in my hometown or in our hometown. Uh, so it was kind of cool, although I, I did stay at the hotel where it was, even though I was kind of like a staycation. And one thing I realized is that I really have no clue about the restaurants in downtown Atlanta. Everybody just assumes that uh, I know all the great restaurants because I live in Atlanta, but I'm, I'm about five miles east, so I don't go out to eat down there that often. Um, but uh, as it relates to the stuff we like to talk about, entrepreneurship, agile, business analysis, software development, um, there were kind of a number of themes that I highlighted that I thought were really interesting at this year's. And if you guys don't get to go to conferences, I mean, I love, you know, we're a learning organization of B2T training. Um, and Jacqueline and I do training, coaching, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's something about conferences that is really cool because the one, it opens your eyes and your ears to some new, new ways of thinking. There's a lot of great presentations, but also uh, the conversations that happen in and around the presentations, I think is where a lot of the nuggets happen and it's a good time to kind of step away from your daily job to really uh, dive into areas of how you can improve so uh, if you get chances to go to conferences do it um, so one of the things the uh, highlights that were out there was there was a lot of talk about um, product ownership does not equal the user community um, and this is something Jacqueline you and I have talked about a lot um, that you know, I think sometimes when people go to Agile and the view is, oh, we talk to the product owner and they're the ones making the decisions. But um, and then if the product owner says it's done, then we're done. But really, um, that's not the case. Right. And a lot of people were talking about that and there were good conversations around that. The user community is so important um, part of the puzzle that they need to be brought into the mix, too. And that, you know, my topic that I spoke about was design thinking. Um, and it, it was really about how do you define the real problem that teams are going after? You know, teams are doing a great job um, organizing and are more productive in building software, but is the stuff they're building the right thing to build? Um, are they building things that the customer wants to use? And design thinking is, you know, creative problem solving or problem identification and solution identification approach to uh, use the customer lens and really make sure that whatever we put out there has the high probability that uh, the consumer wants it. So, so that was a big thing. I don't know. Do you want me to continue down my list or do you want to kind of react to, well, to each of them? Well, you know, and there's definitely some areas that I would love to deep dive in that, but what, why don't we give them the, the broad brush and then we do the, the deep dive? I think that'd be great. Oh, okay. So um, the, the other thing was, uh, you know, around, you know, uh, what I could tell in talking to people that are working in organizations trying to implement Agile or implement uh, or improve the way they're doing is they fall into kind of two buckets that they – uh, they're looking for, like, what is the approach that we should take or what is the tool that's going to help us get there? Um, and then other people are completely paralyzed, I felt. Like, there are so many options and so many ways to implement and attack Agile. And some, there's so many different areas that 
could be the the challenge spots that they get paralyzed and don't know what to do and kind of maybe don't do anything. Um, the other thing was the third thing was there was big discussions around agile as a mindset. So it goes to to the previous point around people looking for approach, but there was more and more talk that, and this is something that I've always felt from the beginning, is that Agile is not, you know, doing Scrum. It's not uh, doing Safe um, and other approaches that are out there. It's, there's critical things related to the mindset of Agile. And I think in the end, that's what, you know, the, the writers of the manifesto were kind of getting at, but I think that's been bastardized a little to come up with a single approach that is agile or multiple approaches that can be viewed as agile. So agile mindset. And then there was a keynote on Wednesday um, and, and I'll, I forgot to write the gentleman's name down, but um, oh, it was Joshua Kurveski. Um, he is kind of started up this movement, I guess you can call it, called Modern Agile. And you can go to modernagile.org for more information. But um, one of the interesting things, and his, you know, the whole kind of point was that this is about the mindset piece. But, you know, he kicked off his presentation. What I thought was funny, he kicked off his presentation saying, we're not going to do, we're not going to talk about scaling and scaleification and safe or scrum and scrumification. I mean, it was funny. And when he was talking about like those approaches and those discussions, like half of the audience was cracking up. Uh, like in applauding, like thrilled that we're not talking about specific approaches. The other half was kind of looking around like, you know, we just spent $200,000 getting everybody trained, you know, to be safe certified. And now you're telling me that's not what Agile's about anymore. So <laughs> they were a little confused, but his, you know, his whole thing, he boiled it down to, to four key areas. And we can talk about that in more detail, but kind of it's, you know, he was trying to push the maturity of Agile and about the mindset and how to approach things versus taking, you know, one single or a combination of approaches. Awesome. You, you, and, you know, I love going to, to conferences as well. So I, I hate that I, that it really sounds very intriguing. And in the agile spaces, it's very interesting. And, and even as you're speaking, you know, I was imagining there's a broad audience. There's a broad spectrum. There's still people that are okay. still sticking their toes in. There are people that, um, you know, they're just being told we're going agile. And, you know, I, I have an opinion at, about agile, and I don't. It, this may or may not have come up, and maybe I'm the only one that still um, thinks this way. But what I have seen, too, is that everyone tries to use agile for every type of project. And um, and and waterfall just became this. It's either one or the other, and that's where you know I feel like you have your extremists or your purists, and it's one or the other. And sometimes it's you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Whereas there's circumstances, and you know because we do a lot of projects that might be rewrites or um, something where you're just freshening up a legacy system, where you may be cleaning up the code and the the background. It's all really just kind of. Um, just some of that, the, the backlog, I'm not backlog, <laughs> but the uh, background grooming of the code and, and or getting it up to to a certain level from a non-functional perspective. And so there's all different types. There's compliance type um, projects where it's very specific what we're doing. So it's not a big, long, well, should we do it this way or that way? It, it's very specific because you're doing something according to some type of compliance. 
So I just throw that out there that because in my travels, you know, I'm working with real-world project teams, and they find themselves that they're told that they're going to go agile, and, and, I, and that's one thing. I see where the organization or the department, the IT department, is going agile. And with that, that said, that means everything, some form or fashion, fits into this some type of mold um, that is agile. And then the other, you know, I think challenge that I see also in the, in the real world too is the IT department may be declaring themselves agile, but not taking into perspective that the rest of the world isn't there at the at that same moment. And if there's the high dependencies and that type of thing, and that's where I would like to see some conversations around um, is it appropriate for this type of project? What are the mitigating factors? You know, do we have, you know, overwhelming number of blockers? If all the other external agents are waterfall, then how successful could we be? Are we setting ourselves up in, in some perspective versus just this just blanket, um, you know, determination that, Everything is going to be agile, therefore, you know, and to me that that in itself is being inflexible. So that's not, you know, to the mindset, where's the flexibility in saying, okay, well, let's evaluate what are the parameters around here before we even declare that agile is the best approach for a particular project. So I just throw that spin in and, and just tying it back to some of my travels and adventures out there, you know, with the different uh, workshops and, and uh, different um clients that I, I've kind of been working with. But you've got some great points, and I want to take each of, each one of them one by one. And starting with, let, let's go back to the product owner. That was the first one. And and around that, like you said, you and I have had some, some conversations about product owner and, and actually collaborated on a, a blog post on the B2T website around, and, and, and let's start with the – the product owner, when you say they're not the end-all or the be-all, why don't you start us out with what some of the, that conversation was about, and then we can uh, take it from there. Right. Well, I think, you know, so prior to um, the the viewpoint of a product owner, I think, you know, the teams would, would have either the analyst or somebody on the team that would do stakeholder analysis and figure out stakeholder engagement and understand who are all the, 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 the players and the pieces. But I think some teams have gone to an extreme where they're, you know, they're working on a chunk of, of work and their team has a chunk of work and the product owner is the, the ultimate decision maker. Uh, and there's, you know, we can go into 101 uh, angles on this about how teams are, you know, when the product owner isn't available all the time and what are teams doing and how do they work around it. But let's, you know, for the, the sake of this argument now, and we can go there, but let's sake of this is talk about, well, they have a product owner that they can use and help make decisions along the way um, on a team. And the what happens, though, I, where I think what happened, there was a huge pendulum swing to go back and say, oh, well, you know, all we have to do as a software development team is work with the product owner. Um, but that that's one person, right? I mean, and depending on, uh, it might not be bad, but you got to, again, to your point, you got to think about this stuff. This is the, the mindset piece. Think about, okay, is this product owner or, or you have to trust and validate, right? That you trust the product owner has the user community 
or the real end customer in mind when they're, you know, making decisions and and prioritizing, et cetera. Uh, but you have to validate that they they have a process in place to gather that information. So I always say, especially talking to BAs, like you might not be the one now, right, that is going out, but you might be, you know, facilitating conversations between your team and the, the product owner, but you're not going out to the larger community, but you still have to validate somebody is getting that. And I think, you know, it, it comes down to the, the point I made earlier about we're cranking out good, we're, no, we're cranking out products and teams are doing a better job being able to continuously deliver, but are they, if they're not thinking about the end customers and the end users of these systems, um, then they're going to have challenges. And so people just need to think about, yes, there is a day-to-day person or, you know, a weekly person that's doing a lot of the validation for the system, but that doesn't mean once they validate that they're done, you have to make sure you've also validated with the user community and figure out ways to get them in the mix, right? So they're constantly part of the conversation. Exactly. And, you know, I think there's this even two pieces to that, you know, even in defense of the person who gets tagged with that uh, role of product owner. In some cases, you know, in, in most cases, they've got their day job, and they're probably picked yeah. because they're probably a pretty significant person, knows the, the, that part of the business. So they're probably pulled in the other directions, too, where they're needed to make decisions and or to stay informed and, and to stay in the capacity that they are. Um, and that said, it's like that's a lot to ask of one person. Of yep. course, love the idea of product owner being that single point of decision-making, you know, but, you know, I, I used to um, even say in my class that when, we, when you're doing stakeholder analysis, everybody can have input, but we just need one person that can make the decision. But now we're eliminated. You know, some people, you know, you saw this nice picture of the Agile team. There was that single product owner sitting with the developer and the tester, and, and they just, you know, sat together, and they were going to build this solution. But the reality is is that person has to go outside of that circle to reach out to subject matter experts and end users and then, you know, the upstream and downstream stakeholders. And even just the the, the process of knowing who you need to reach out to, um, you know, the formal stakeholder analysis that we kind of do and and know to do as business analysts, you know, does that all all of a sudden get put on the shoulder of the product owner? So it, it was like... The title product owner um, and was is given to this person who is very knowledgeable in, in the business and the, the vision of the business and representing the sponsor's uh, needs. But at the same time, they actually are now a facilitator to reach out and to both communicate both ways. There's, you know, there's the other piece too is not only reaching to get everyone's perspective, but I also say that role now is taking on also making sure that those who are going to use the system in the end have buy-in. So there has to right. be communications. Like you can't in a vacuum make all these decisions. And, and, and I remember this is on a, another project, not even specifically Agile, but, you know, when the end users got it, they said, who made this decision? You know, and, and not that it necessarily was a wrong decision, but they weren't kept in the loop or they didn't get they, – it wasn't talked through so that they could come to the same conclusion by the time they saw 
this system that they were going to use on a daily basis. So, in, in all that, when you put all when you put all that together, that's time consuming. That's what you know. You that's why there's full time BAs that have to juggle all that. But then when you put it on someone who has a day job and just has been labeled product owner, and I've even I'll, I'll tell you this as I, I've been working in these workshops, I've seen where product owners were shared across project. Uh, project. That product owner uh, was mm. responsible for uh, multiple agile teams that were going on at the same time. Yeah, no, it's it's not an easy job. And I think that's where people are like, oh, we have a product owner, we're going to sign that person for the team. But there, there are so many variables um, that come to play that people need help in understanding what the real – you know, it's more about what's the goal of product ownership, right? And and then you can determine what's the best way in our organization, in our culture, um, based on how we uh, are organized as a group, how we're rewarded, who has the time, and what's the best way to do that. So it's really more thinking about the skills needed um, for product ownership and what is that really about, um, and then saying, okay, well, what's the best way for us to do it? You know, to your point earlier, to me, being agile is not saying this is the way agile is done. Um, to me, it's like, you know, it, and this is why people get paralyzed because, or at least I feel is part of the reason that it's not a one size fits all, right? Um, you used to be able to, to build teams um, based on title and, so every you would think for the most part, okay, every team needs a project manager, every team needs a um, a BA, everyone needs you know X amount of developers, an architect, a DBA, QA, so on. Um, I apologize if I, I missed anybody, but you get the the gist. Now it's you know thinking about it in terms of capabilities, right? I mean, agile is pushing thinking about teams in terms of capabilities that could take one or more flavors, right? So some teams might be able to have a product owner and they're so ingrained and they have so much time that they really understand the consumer market and know what to do. You might only need a person, right? And they have the time to dedicate and they're, you know, they have all the parts of product ownership. But then as you're stating, what typically happens, or at least um, teams that haven't gotten to that point, there you have to come up with creative ways to to fill these roles, and and that's okay. That's being agile, right? And um, and if but if you don't do that, then your teams are still going to struggle and have challenges. Exactly, and you know, even to the point where I, I've had where. Um, in, in one instance where the product owner said, because I'm spread across all these different teams, and, and one of the things that the team was striving to do, um, which is at the core of Agile, was breaking out their user stories so that they were small pieces so that they could, um, in, in you know, their increments and throughout their sprints, you know, do demos and share with the product owner. And the product owner's reaction was, I don't have time for that. I'm spread too thin. So then in a way it's like, okay, well, again, like you said, we've got to step back, look at our culture, our environment, what we're asking people and their bandwidth. And and I I almost question like, well, 
can you do agile? Are are you equipped to do agile if your product owner is saying, don't call me until the end of, you know, a couple of sprints. I want to see a whole feature complete before you call me. I don't want to see the demos. I'm thinking, you know, right there, you know, I'm kind of, (laughs) you know, stunned and speechless, which is rare, you know, to say, like, well, let's just talk about this. Are we doing agile? Maybe this isn't the right thing. And, I mean, maybe I'm extreme. I don't know how you would have reacted under that situation. No, I I think, well, for me, and maybe it's, you know, too much of a a relaxed view here, but to me it's it's been about – um, what people are willing to accept, right? So um, the the beauty of doing things in smaller chunks and seeing things earlier rather than later is that you can catch and adjust and adapt, right? I mean, that's when it comes down okay. to it, I think that's what it's about. So if the, the, the person, um, this product owner is saying, don't come to me until we're you know, four sprints in, so that's two months from now, um, because that's when you guys anticipate the feature to be finished. You know, we'll talk now, but don't talk to me for another two months because I don't have time. Then that person has to be, they have to know the impact of that. And they have to say, okay, here's, here's what can happen. And this is what we've seen over time happen by you not getting involved in the, the, whether it's the daily or the weekly, bi-weekly demos. And so there's a higher chance that we're going to be off target. And if you're okay with that, then to me, then that's acceptable, right? I mean, it's it, to me, that's not a bad thing. Um, it might not be the best thing, but it's it's the best thing that this group can understand. And then hopefully, you know, hopefully that product owner will realize, oh, wow, this this is definitely not what I intended maybe I should get back involved and, or try to figure out a way to have, you know, somebody involved for me or, or work into my deadline. So, you know, so I think we might, we might have a slight disagreement in what agile is, right? Uh, because to me, that's in my sense, that is being agile. You're, and you talked about this, that there's parameters. There's people are, or teams and organizations are always going to have constraints, right? There's no ideal scenario. So there's always going to be constraints. And it's what is the best way to move forward within those constraints? Um, So go ahead, please. Well, what I was going to say is, though, this actually is proving your second point, which was the paralysis, because it's the, the total contradiction. Because people were going to agile, because they were getting to certain points and, you know, or getting to the end of the product or delivering something and being way off. So that was the attraction of Agile. Now I've gotten to Agile and we're going to label ourselves Agile and create these teams and then have the product owner say, I don't want to come to, to the, you know, I don't want to participate in the various sprints and increments. I'll show up at the end. And, and the, the reality is, which you, you can have this conversation with them about, okay, well, you know at the end that, you know, that if you didn't come to the demos incrementally, then you've lost some of that opportunity to say if we were going in the right direction or not. That, and, and, and this is the thing, two pieces to that. This actually reinforces 
white product owners, we need to keep reiterating, they get trained along with the team. But at, oh, yeah. at the end of the day, if this product owner isn't allocated to be a, a part of the team and to have the, the bandwidth to be a part of the team because of their other obligations, then all the training in the world, they just don't have the time. And not having the time and just showing up at the end, then Agile isn't going to be any different than if they had a state waterfall. And, and that's what my concern is. You can, you can say to them, like, well, you know what's going to happen if we don't, you know, have these, these incremental touch points. And, um, you know, but the reality is, is when they get to the end of the product owners, these are the very product owners that the, 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 the people, especially that I'm talking to in the classes that are the um, part of the technical team, this was the history they had with that product owner. That was the purpose of going to Agile. So that's, and so that's why I can see, right. like, when you said there were some people walking around the conference and paralysis is that, on the one hand, Agile was supposed to be so different from Waterfall, but if you have certain symptoms, you know, that are still going on, and, and you and I talked about this, sometimes that's what we have to bring to the forefront. It's not that you're doing Agile right or wrong, but if there is key things there, I, you know, I'll give you my second example that I sometimes hear where people say, um, I'm being pulled on and off the team. Or new members are coming on and off yep. the Agile team. Again, trying to form a well-formed team, everybody focused on the same project at the same time, even the same uh, sprint and the, the goals of the sprint at the same time is how you keep people and keep the velocity and make your commitments and meet your commitments. But if you're still having that same um, the same symptoms of people being pulled off for emergency this or being pulled in different directions, it's going to undermine it, the schedule for the sprint, just like it would undermine the waterfall schedule. So that, you know what I mean? So there's what right. people also exactly. have to understand and be honest. And you and I talked about this, that, you know, sometimes people aren't the best to do their self-analysis of what their actual problem is, because sometimes they'll say, well, we need to get better at this Agile, and it's really a ceremony, and we need to get better at this. And, re and the reality is, no, your problem it may stem from something backing all the way up to either how the group is structured, you know, managed, and, and, and some of those uh, key components. But I, I, I'll pause. That, that was just – this is something I wanted to put out there. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that that's what causes a lot more of the pain – than anything, right? I mean, people, it's it's easier, maybe easy is not the, the best word, but it's, there's a, uh, there's something you can sink your teeth into when it's a, uh, a specific ceremony or a specific technique, um, specific thing like estimating and getting better at that. And so it's easy to say, well, that's where our challenge is rather than stepping, you know, looking back and saying, how are we how are we organized as a team and is there an issue um, or is there a challenge or an opportunity that we have to tweak that to get better? Um, yeah. So it's, you know, to your point, the, the teams when product owners or the business and you brought this up earlier, right? When the team says they're agile, but the business is not right. Um, so they don't have that, um, that understanding of, well, how do we organize on the business side to make sure that we have people available and making good decisions or making decisions that we can move forward with, um, then you're going to have, there's only so much you can gain, 
right? And only so much that you can uh, get to in that situation. Exactly, exactly. And and on that on that you know as we we're, we're having the conversation talking about the the product owner and the product owner not being the the end all for any of our listeners maybe some have joined late we're kind of going through some key bullet items that Coop brought back from the the recent agile conference that he attended and and so one of the big topics was the the, the product owner maybe not being. Uh, just that one person that is the the end all and 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 like I said, part of it um, I'm on the side of the product owners is that they want to do a good job, but they also are being stretched and and pulled in a lot of different directions. I'm not seeing dedicated product owners. I'm seeing someone that had a day job and then oh by the way, you're the product owner. And what it looks a lot like is the 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 typical. Um, it, it you know the, the product owner may in some ways because of their bandwidth is still kind of in that waterfall where they want to come in up front tell you what they want and what I hear a lot is and I want it all so just show it to me when you have it all so even the incremental demos or you know doing backlog grooming or sprint planning they're not interested in that at all they'll show up at the end and in their mind everything that they ask for they they want whereas again agile where you should be negotiating your backlog and, and looking for your minimum viable product. So um, you know, that that's all tricky, but I don't just want to like be the person that's just a naysayer because on on the other hand, one of my thoughts and what I've also seen be successful is you do have a someone either is a business analyst that helps augment that pro that busy product owner. I, I think that's that's one of the the key things because we so often see um, with in, in in various presentations that you never even see the business analyst role associated with the agile team. And I don't know if that came up specifically at this particular conference. Is it coming back in style to have a BA? Is it still um, you know because we we have plenty of people that come through our uh, agile analysis training that are in the the BA role, but is that on the upswing? Uh, and, and I mean, I know you don't have any maybe scientific, but I don't know if you got a feel for that while you were uh, at the conference. And then secondly, let me just also say hello to the caller that joined us at eight five nine area code. Thank you for uh, joining us this evening and, and jumping in our, our caller queue. Just press one if you have a question or want to join in in the conversation with Coop and I. But thanks for joining. But so Coop, I'll, I'll, I'll you know give you a chance to see. Did did you or do you have an opinion on if the BA role is um, on the upswing with agile teams to help? Um, support the product owners? What, are you, what is your thought? Yeah, so there is two things. One, so at the conference, actually one of our clients, I was talking to him and he came up and said, you know, I'm surprised there's nothing here at the conference talking about that, like the, the role of a business analyst in, in an agile world. Um, so that that was kind of, so at the conference, you know, and and this is a this is a huge conference. There was twenty five about twenty five hundred people, or it's a large conference, twenty five hundred people in like eighteen concurrent sessions going on at a time. So it was hard to 
totally stay abreast of everything that was happening. Although there's a lot of us that were tweeting um, and keeping each other informed about what was happening in the different sessions. But the, so there really was not anything specific around that. But what uh, the other piece is talking to other clients is that that is a question that they keep asking. Like, so what does the BA do? You know, where, and even some management, um, whether it's like outright, um, you know, that they, they don't really feel this way or like a lot of people don't necessarily, you know, the people promoting Agile don't talk about the BA role explicitly or people actually say, you know what, um, because of the makeup of the team and, you know, back to having the business people part of the team, we don't need a BA because they were the the translator, the person, you know, and they were writing documentation, which, you know, Agile doesn't believe in documentation, you know, so that's the the theories that they have or the thoughts that they have. So, um, so I think there's a lot of talk right now uh, and people concerned about the BA role. Um, and again, I don't know, part of that, it's unscientific. Part of it's because, you know, we're in this space and maybe I'm listening for it more in the stuff I read and the people I talk to and the ones that I engage with. But but it is a challenge. And, and one of the things I've started saying is that um, I really think it's, it, it's uh, partly short-sighted. But partly the wrong answer, like I, I don't, or the wrong question. Sorry, uh, I think the the question of what do I do with a business analyst on an agile team is is the wrong question. I think people need to realize, and and they would see this, is that analysis is needed on the team, capabilities and thinking terms of capabilities. And you said this in our talk yesterday. Um, that nobody would ever say we don't need a developer on the team, right? Um, and so it, it's like, so I don't know what's happening in some organizations and what they view business analysis is really about. Um, if their BAs are, are note takers, and we've talked about this before, if they're pure note takers and they're having a conversation with the business and then copying that into a document and passing it on to a developer, then you don't need that person. You definitely don't need that person, but a good business analyst is the one kind of teasing out what the real problem is, making sure that we're focusing on the right problem, that we're heading down the right path, that we're making good decisions along the way, that we're prioritizing and thinking about the impacts that our initiative has on other initiatives. So there's so many things about analysis that is critical. And you know, so you don't need a business analyst, but you need someone doing that work. And so who happens to be people that have can do that work are people that have that title. Um, now, you might, you know, might not need someone with that title, depending on the team based on capabilities. Um, so it, it's a it's a hot topic to answer your question quickly. Yes, it's a hot topic right now. And I think there's, you know, differing views on what to do and teams are trying to figure that out, figure out that answer. And I think, so to me, when someone says we don't need a business analyst on a team, I'll agree with them a hundred percent. As long as they have the capabilities and they're, they're being implemented in a, in the right way. So, you know, you said it yesterday when we were prepping for the show that, yeah, a developer can maybe able to do it, but do they have the time? 
right? And and how is the time being broken out and et cetera. So uh, it all comes back to how the team is organized and and being honest and truthful about how much work each person can handle and be effective. Exactly. And I think the the, the other thing that I'll, I'll add to this, that is you, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, first of all, I think some of the history of why people say there's no need for a business analyst on an agile team was because in the beginning we said you didn't need requirements. There weren't any requirements in agile. You just wrote a story. But, you know, I do a reoccurring webinar about there's more to the story than user stories. They're placeholders. At some point, you still got to come to a common understanding. So I talk about the business analyst a lot as a facilitator. And my thing is you have to facilitate on the fly. You're not scheduling meetings out and getting everybody in the room and doing workshops. You're just – one of the things I tell people is that you're just eavesdropping every chance you get. And when you hear something and you think someone else needs to be in the loop, then you start thinking, okay, what's the best way I can facilitate this in, the, in a, you know, the leanest way as a minimalist on a whiteboard, snap a picture, and get it sent out to the other people that need to be in the loop and, and aware of it. And that's what the, the, that's how I kind of see the, the business analyst role. And I think that they having a, a business analyst that has experience, they can react quickly. They can read a situation. They can read stakeholders in or they're thinking as a product owner is talking about something they want or they need, the analyst is putting it through a filter to say, well, okay, how is that going to translate into the software and the solution and you know, does that get added to a story? Is that another story? You know, is there a technical component in, involved in that? Maybe a technical story. You know, and they're just already analyzing it and, and to determine, okay, how do we represent this in the backlog, you know, as a placeholder? That's not something that the product owner, first of all, even like I said before, might have the bandwidth to do and or the background to do because they know what they want but they don't know in terms of how you slice and dice these things when it comes to trying to build a software solution. So to me, it's very clear. Now, you you do have advanced product owners. You have product owners who have come from the technical. So you're definitely going to have those that can play that that hybrid role. But team by team, you've got to read, like you said, you know, read the capabilities of everybody, see where they are, and the more advanced and or the more advanced the, the problem or solution is, then you need specialists and not just a, a generalist in some cases. Right. Some projects yeah. you could get away with it, no problem. But there's others, but you've got to have that flexibility. So even if your business analysts are shared services and you bring them in, or if you have, you know, the other thing that I'm a big proponent of that I don't hear a lot of is that a business analyst can also wear the hat of the scrum master because that's facilitation. And and with, you know, the, the added training and understanding, you know, as, as far as how to document the uh, components for the information radiators and velocity, a BA is perfectly capable of facilitating because as a scrum master, part of what you're doing is making sure the team stays, you know, healthy, um, and it's and their agile mindset is just keeping their agile mindset throughout everything. 
So, if, you know, so if you need a hybrid role and you don't see that you need a full-time VA, I think that's another way to have that specialist there and use them in, in two capacities formally. And then a VA always can assist with uh, testing and, and QA and, and that particular piece as well. So, um, you know, you, you can do different combinations, but I think that understanding and respecting that there are some things that, especially if you're trying to do, a, you know, moving on the fly, there's someone who's been, if there's someone that's been doing analysis for their career, then they're going to be able to um, read something very quickly and make sure that the, the team takes certain things into consideration. And, and, yeah. and I'll, I'll, oh, go, go ahead. Did you want to respond to that? Yeah, 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 I just wanted because you, you made me think of – so the perfect example where analysis is not um, there is when I was having a house built, and a, I'm sorry, everybody. I just love using house analogies. I know it's not software, but there's there's so many ties to a house and, and how analysis plays into and how the it parallels software development. But we in our kitchen, we had an island, and we had a granite countertop, and – so it was designed in a way that uh, we had these four posts kind of at the end, so you can put chairs around in certain spots of the island. You know, so there was the island, and then the the granite countertop would extend past that, and then you can have chairs all around it. Well, uh, as so the island was put down, and then they were gonna they were measuring out specifics for the the granite countertop, and the guy that came to to do the measurements and you know i would think he's like a developer right he knows countertops and all that stuff so he comes and he's meeting with my wife and he says well um i think we can do this in just one slab and not you know have a seam in the middle so my wife was like that's great you know awesome i love it um that's you know much better than having a seam you know two pieces cut there well so then so they go off and do that. He delivers the slab and one side is too short. And we're like, what happened to, you know, the, the extension over here? And he's like, well, you guys wanted one slab. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, yes, we wanted one slab thinking that we were still going to have the same measurements. Um, so to me, that's like a lack of analysis that happened there to show – well, yes, you can, we can do this different. We can have one slab. Here's the impact. Do you want to move forward with it or not? Then I think, you know, I don't know if you agree that that's a good point of analysis, right? So, and to your point, like uh, analysts that are eavesdropping, and I love that, that you give that advice, they would hear that and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Let's make sure the one slab, is that, that mean the same size or do we have to cut it a little shorter? And how does that impact the four posts at the end? Um, so now Absolutely. it's funny we have... We, they got three posts in, so in our attic we have this post that just sits there. It was supposed to be installed but couldn't. So um, to me, that's that's what happens when you don't have analysts, and it's hard for people to to kind of see that. And they almost don't think – they don't think in terms that that's analysis, right? And right. that's what right. – I mean, you know, the soapboxes we are on is to prove that's what analysis is. It's not writing a user story. It's not writing a use case. It's not – knowing all the symbols in workflow diagrams that's not what it is that those are tools to help understand stuff 
um, and help us um, keep things organized. But that is not the analysis is that the that example that I gave, and and we got to keep pushing, keep pushing that, and that's what analysis is. And if you have other people on the team that can have the time and know how to do it and do it well, then don't have a business analyst, right? I, I agree with you. But if you don't have other people on the team, there are qualified people that have been doing this in a traditional environment that can easily, well, maybe not easily, but they can adjust into this new world of breaking things down into smaller chunks rather than thinking about you know, requirements as a, a process in the system. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of, of, of analogies uh, along the line, um, I use this, uh, as a matter of fact, it was with uh, some students that were asking about the product owner's role and uh, versus the business analyst's role. And they, you know, again, the, the conversation about why do we need business analysts. And the analogy I use, using somewhat of a, the, the house analogy, is I, can, I thought back to when I bought my first or built my first house. And I had a real estate agent at that point um, to help me with some of the negotiation. Now, I've bought a house. I've lived in houses, so I know houses, right? So, again, I'm the, the product owner, so to speak. I'm representing, you know, um, the, the buyer. But at the same time, this is a professional. She's been involved with numerous and countless negotiations and so on and so forth. So she was my advisor throughout it all. Now, People buy houses without real estate agents, and that's perfectly fine. But like with this, this first one, she was a perfect example. And I think of a business analyst or a business analyst slash advisor in this case is saying to the product owner, well, have we considered this? Do we need to talk about that? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about, um, you know, talk about the happy path? Or also, you know, we're advising them to think about, well, what about, have you thought about? So similar to the, the real estate agent, in one case, just like you were saying, I was building the house, and up front we had talked about one thing. We got to a certain point, and the uh, contractor, however, something got missed. And so my real estate agent advised me, well, let's negotiate on this, you know, to, to get something cut back because they missed that. That was a, a miss, and they admitted it. Clearly we had talked about it. It had been, you know, documented. So she's like, because if we tried to fix it at this point, it was going to be too big. It was going to compromise the the um, the date line and so on and so forth. So she was like, how important is it to you? Do you would you rather just have them take something off the back end or give you a little extra freebie here, or do you want me to really make them go and and redo this? And and, and so that was she was playing my business analyst or advisor in that because that was her specialty and she knew that area and she knew my side and as well as she knew how construction worked. And so that's what I think of the business analyst. And what I, when the students had asked me the question, I used that example, they were like, well, can the business analyst just be the product owner? I was like, at the end of the day, I have to live in the house. Now, I could have signed a bunch of papers and said, oh, you're a real estate agent, you know about houses, you take care of it, and I'll be back in six months when the house is – I don't even remember how long it took. Hopefully it didn't take six months. But however long it took, the five months it took to build, I'll just come back and move in and expect it to be what I think it should be. You, you know what I mean? Like who would do that? You as a – me as the buyer, I still have to be engaged. And, I, and so I was like, we do, you know, incremental development 
and when you're building a house all the time. Every chance I got, I was doing drive-bys to check what progress they made, were we on the right track. So that that was my analogy. How, how, how did you like that one? I don't think I've ran that one by you before. Yeah, no, no, I haven't heard that one before, but I love it. Um, yeah. It, we could debate offline the value of, uh, of real estate no, agents know, right? these days. But, <laughs> well, we'll talk about yeah. the commission. Now, do but, they deserve that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, uh, some I, 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 had, I, I did go alone and, and do a couple of deals without a real estate agent. But those first couple of ones, I, I was taking notes on uh, the value that they, they provided at that time. But back to what we said. And but that's you said, some concept. projects you need them for, some you don't. I've had some very straightforward projects, you know, um, that I haven't used a, a real estate agent. So the same applies with business analysts. Yeah, you know, and there's so many, there's so many different roles in buying a house. Um, you know, people that are inspecting the house, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, I think that that's another great analogy where you need someone to walk in walk through the house and inspect it and give you advice and advise you here are the you know here's the critical things right focus on these make sure you go back and get these corrected here are other things that you can negotiate right it's not not critical these are some things that i highlight and i think that those are you know that's kind of the role of analysis to help you make and you know i've said this uh, over the last three years, a million times, that it's about helping you make good decisions, right? That your your example, the real estate agent, was okay. Here's the situation you're in. Here are ways this could play out. And to your point, I know this because I've been here, I've done it, I've understood it. Um, I see all the sides that are involved. Um, so here's how you can go, right? Um, and they give you options, right? Saying, okay, you can go option one, make them redo it. And here's the impact. Option two, um, ask for money off, and here's what that means. Or three, maybe get they throw in a higher end appliance for you, whatever that that answer is. Exactly. But it's giving, looking at the situation, seeing what's going on, and then giving options to help you make good decisions. Um, yeah. And and that to me is what analysis is. And uh, and you need that on your team. But that, Absolutely. I mean, to me, that is non-negotiable. And if you look at right. analysis like that, I don't know how anybody can argue that. Nope, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Let me let me take let me jump in here and take a quick yeah. break so we can hear uh, a word from our sponsors. And uh, again, to our uh, listeners, thank you for joining Coop and I. Coop and uh, um, talking about what's new and agile. Some of the things that that we're hearing as we've been out and about. Um, so some really interesting topics. And I want to, when we come back from the uh, word from our sponsors, want to pick up on some of the things we talked about that analysis, that, that people are getting paralysis in their implementation of Agile um, and then the importance of the Agile mindset and then the modern Agile um, key points around that. So with that, I'll uh, throw it over to Javon so we can hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by and features B2Ttraining.com. B2T Training has trained and equipped almost 15,000 of the most successful and high-performing practitioners of business analysis since the year 2000. Our courses are developed and taught by the most respected and highest qualified experts in the industry. 
We know that transforming the way you and your team perform business analysis is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And we understand that your business analysis practice has unique problems and deserves a unique program offering. Using our holistic approach, we will identify the pain points that will result in the best opportunity for your team or organization to realize the change they're trying to achieve. Change begins with knowledge and skills. Our learning events also include ongoing enrichment and reflective activities that provide students the boost they need to sustain their learning and competency. In other words, we make it stick. Get your business analysis training from the most respected and highest qualified source of experts in the industry. Find out more about our public class offerings in various U.S. locations or call to speak with one of our training solution sales associates toll-free at 866-675-2125. Follow us on social media and visit www.b2ttraining.com. That's B, the number 2 ttraining.com and see our full course Um, uh, outlines blog that you have some more information about our sponsors b2t training um and check them out um now um continuing our conversations one of the things that you you just mentioned uh that i wanted to pick up on coop was you know you you talked about you even saw people walking around they were kind of in a, a bit of a paralysis when it comes to agile and I love with Agile that, you know, you have your retrospect, you have your continuous, continually trying to improve it. And, you know, just like anything else, you go through levels of maturity with Agile, people just starting out. But, you know, it is a hot topic right now, and so people probably find themselves overwhelmed even with different options. There's now Scrum, and there's Safe, and there's Kanban, and then there's different levels of Safe, and 3.0 and 4.0 and and, um, and then everybody has their own hybrid. And sometimes people say, you know, we have our version of Agile, and they, um, they, they say it in a negative or derogatory way. But to me, no, that's the flexibility of Agile. You should do it your way. And even I am a proponent that each team has different ways of, what, you know, finding out what works for those teams, and that's, that's the flexibility. But at the same time, like you said, People, especially if with that, the waterfall um, kind of methodology, if you grew up with that, you're just used to just tell me what I need to do. And, and sometimes I even see that in the, the classroom. Just tell me what's the right way to do this. So when you say, well, you could do it this way or it depends or, you know, talk to your team, that, that throws people off a little bit. But, I, you know, that's that mindset. So pulling in the, the conversation about the mindset is get comfortable that, hey, um, you're not going to get one answer. And if someone is coming in and telling you one way, because I I get that sometimes too, where someone says, well, I went to another Agile class, they said that we, then that is the one that I think should throw up the red flag. What are are your thoughts, Coop? Yeah, so so that, I was going to bring up that, that last point you just brought up where, that's part of the problem with, with agile too. Cause there's, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of coaches, there's training organizations, there's certifications, right? I mean, there's IC agile, there's scrum, there's uh safe, there's dad, which is discipline agile. Right. Um, I was trying to look up, I forgot the name. There was, there's actually an approach that says, 
there's not an approach, right? Like the there was one of the um, guys that were part of the writing the Agile Manifesto, and he's kind of come out with a method, but that method is that there is no approach, right? And I think you know he even talked to um, the guys at Safe and the guys at Dad that there's still they're trying to leave the door open for a lot of flexibility. Um, so even though there are approaches there, there is a lot of flexibility within them. Um, but, you know, part of the problem is you have person, you know, you might go as a coach, go on to a, talk to a team and say, here are ways that you can do things. The next day, a different coach might have a slightly different twist, or they might even be the saying the same thing, but they're using potentially a different way of saying it and it causes confusion right so um and this is not at this is nobody's fault i mean i think this is kind of the things happen um and this is why that the guy uh joshua that talked about modern agile was trying to I felt he was trying to bring it up a little a level right uh what modern agile is and um how you do it by talking about, you know, four things. And you can go to modernagile.org. I don't get a, you know, no kickbacks, um, by the way, from, from him. Um, but, you know, his first thing was make people awesome. Um, so in that, that concept is about thinking about the customer. How do you make that person more awesome, right? How do you make their life more awesome? Um, so whatever you're, you're focusing on, that should be the, the, the light post or the the anchor to say, okay, we're our goal with whatever we're building is to make whoever the people we're building it for, make them more awesome. Uh, and the second was deliver value continuously. So try as fast as you can to give those people that you're trying to make awesome, make them awesomer faster. And some of this is my paraphrasing. So um, I hope I'm not um, totally changing the the stuff. Um, the next was make safety a prerequisite. Um, and when he was talking about safety, it was more, uh, he was saying it was more from the psychological sense um, that they can feel comfortable making mistakes, trying things, um, and not being judged, right? So in saying things and trying to, to push the envelope maybe in some areas or throwing out a crazy idea and not get judged. So make that, uh, you know, make your environment safe. Um, and then the last piece was experiment and learn rapidly. So if you have a safe environment and people feel comfortable, then they'll be okay to experiment and try things out and, and do, um, do some things differently and learn from that to, to get better. So again, all, and it's in a loop to the reason for this is to make people awesome. So um, I think if, so I viewed it, <clears throat> some people, I had really good conversations with people after this session because I came away inspired and really liked it. And, and it actually, in my, in my opinion, uh, you know, I talk a lot about improv and push that that's kind of a key skill set that everybody needs um, that this modern agile kind of flows into, or it's perfectly aligned with um, the viewpoint of, of improv. Um, so, so I was really excited about it and I was talking to people and someone said, why do we have to come up with new stuff, right? I mean, now there's new names to call things that we're already doing. Um, so some people were frustrated with it. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, but I think that's that's the key, right? So um, 
if you if you are paralyzed, go back to these four principles, right, or these four things. And so, how what is the best way for us to do that? Um, and focus on that rather than a thing is going to to take care of you. There was a group that I spoke at last year in Dallas, and they they walked me around their office and showed me kind of what they were doing and how they were implementing Agile. Um, and their whole thing was like, you know what? We found that there are three main philosophies or three main thoughts. There's Lean, there's Kanban, and there was Scrum. And they kind of took pieces from each to incorporate how they were going to be Agile. And, and I thought, to me, that was the right answer. Um, and the and they, in some sense, now looking back, kind of fall into this modern Agile concepts as well. Um, you know, you. I just wanted to say one thing before you chime in is there, there was a group I was working with that they they were talking about their hybrid and they called it Chunky Waterfall. Um, so I actually thought that was a little disgusting, a little gross, but um, they were kind of trying to highlight that they just do things. They're just really, they were doing them iteratively, right? They were doing small, small waterfalls, not really agile. Um, and one other thing, Jacqueline, I think, you know, I, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, and they're always getting sponsors that bring in food and stuff. So how do we get, you know, a sponsor to drop off lunch for us while we're, we're doing the show? And we can have some good pizza or subs or something. Yeah, and and, and that. Yeah, well, yeah, we should put that challenge out there. I'll, I'll stop that <laughs> uh, yeah. around. And, and the, the trick is that they have to uh, drop it off at two locations. But hey, <laughs> hey, I'll drive. I'll drive to to the studio. I'll go to I'll go to your place. And okay, okay, <laughs> we will work on that absolutely. So we can give them a shout out. You know, that's right. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I'll work on that. Devon, put that on the list of our, our, our to-do list there. <laughs> um, you know, if, if the one thing that, like you said, I, 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 I like the, the whole thing and how you tied it into the mindset. And, and one of the things I jotted down is that, you know, I could almost see every, every uh, Agile team, one of their team-building exercises should be some type of improv uh, exercise because, like you said, that's exactly, you know, with Agile – is you feeling a little bit uncomfortable just but going for it, you know, trying right. you know, just jumping in there and uh, you know, being a part of the, the solution. So I, I really like that. And and I, I I think I'll have to tell you, I really enjoy that when I do live classes. I like observing people, um, even watching people coming out of their shells or when I, I you know, when I see certain things, someone that's kind of standing back you know, I find ways to, to make sure that I switch who's uh, got the pin and, and that type of thing because it's, it's always, you know, there's so many things that you can observe in the, the class that are so fascinating to me. So I just love studying the whole dynamics uh, of, of the team, and that even of itself, sometimes I, I can tell right away because it's so funny when you do that first exercise, that person who grabs the pin almost in my mind it's like, okay, I need to get that pin to the next person because that, that person that's shying away or standing back or just going with the flow. And, and a lot of times people do. They, they're, they're used to people, whether it's their titles or they've been there longer, because you, you even have to watch for that. When people do their introductions and talk about how long they're there, 
some people just relinquish right then and there that, okay, that person knows more. So if they say it's this way, that's the way it is. If this, they say this is the solution, that's what it is. And I, I so like to highlight that everybody um, being a part, say something. And, and, and I, I really, when someone says something that is out of the norm, I'm the first one to really kind of put a spin on it like, wow, that was that was really unique. We didn't even think that way. And I've seen it even open eyes of different people around the table. So, you know, there is, there's, like you said, and with Agile, and I've said this before, when you're changing a, mile, a mindset versus, which is really affecting the whole culture of an organization and, and, and all the surrounding parts there, um, you know, it's, it takes time. It's just like breaking bad habits. It takes time. You know, I think they say somewhere like 30 days to really break a habit. And that's where the, the coaching comes in. So even Agile and the, the combination of things you do along with the training, like the, the coaching and um, even some of the uh, assessments and, and, and what I even call now I've labeled interventions because sometimes they can't see um, what someone from the outside can uh, observe and help them with breaking, you know, really what the root cause is. The symptom might manifest itself that, you know, we're, we're our velocity, we can't pick up our velocity or, um, you know, we're not able to be consistent, we're not meeting our commitments. That may be the symptom, but let's let's look back at some other things from the, the team dynamics and, and that type of thing and even the, the atmosphere. So the the mindset, when people say we're, we're going agile, they really have to take into consideration and even approach how they get that team, um, com, you know, converted or transitioned from a waterfall to an agile, and it, it may be different things that's augmented, and maybe some of it, whether it's improv training or, you know, just coaching and, and that type of thing, um, has to be taken into consideration. And that said is that Agile then, it really has to become contagious, whereas, again, if you have the technical team that's that's Agile, then you've also got to look at all of the different um, support teams and partners and neighbors that they have to interact with and depend on. You have to look at, the, you know, what the product owner's mindset is. You've got to look what the business mindset is and um, just make sure that you, you – um, make sure that it spreads beyond just the IT team. But what, what, what your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the you know the one thing you talked about interventions, and that was the one thing I wrote down: the interventions or assessments and the outside view. Um, yeah, I think you know it, it's like a lot of things when you're deep um, in trying to figure out and self. You use the term self-diagnose. Um, sometimes it's hard. Um, and, and that's why I think coaching is kind of taken off and there's, you know, a consultant training model that, that is out there in the agile space. And I think it, it's good. It, it's how you use that. And, you know, I'll give you a shout out with, uh, you know, I've seen some of the retrospective summaries that you've kind of highlighted to our clients. Um, after going in to do like a two-day workshop and it's like okay we addressed you know what um, we were brought in to to kind of accomplish here are some of the other things that I'm seeing that are going on the team that wasn't and maybe they knew it um, but it just wasn't part of why we were brought in initially and I think that's the that that's it's the holistic piece that is needed 
um, I think for teams to really get this. This is a a massive, massive change, um, no matter what anybody thinks. Um, and that's why back to why people get paralyzed, because it is so big. So so you have to recognize it's a big, big change, but then you also have to kind of look for the the bright spots and start to implement, do something, right? Implement something. Um, there's a, a design thinking session that I give that at the end, I'm like, don't, you know, even though I think design thinking is uh, the next big thing and it's thing that people should start implementing on, you know, in software development, if they're not already thinking in terms, but you don't have to be, you don't have to do all of the components of design thinking, right? It's like, just pick out something, you know, try something that can change and improve the way you're doing business and start doing it and start learning from it. Um, and that, that to me is part of the mindset. And I think you, you know, you could talk about this stuff all day long. Um, and even, you know, this came up with some of our internal systems that we were doing. We were, you know, uh, a team was working on, you know, updating, implementing a new CRM and learning management system. And we were talking about over and over about like, how can we do something, how this feature is going to work. And finally we were like, what are we doing? Let's, let's try one, right? Like, what do we think the best one is? Let's get it in and then we can adjust and adapt. And I, I think that's the, that's the, the mindset. So whatever, you know, I mean, whoever you trust and whoever you feel can help you get there, you should trust in them and try something. Um, because you can talk about it for years and years and years and, uh, and still not have an answer. Exactly. And, 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 you know, that's that's interesting because even with some of the coaching that I've done with students is um, even getting them to that point where they can get comfortable with um, saying, um, I don't know. You know, because and this 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 comes up in some of the, the classes, too, is that um, you have a product owner. They're saying, well, how should we do it? And, and it's almost pressing the, the IT team to do a complete design and to be fully committed to one way of doing it. And that's exactly what Agile is. It's like, well, we're going to get in, we're going to try a piece, and we're going to touch base, we're going to see, are we going in the right direction? We're going to go, peel back a little bit more, see that piece. Um, And so, and and what I keep trying to help them understand is the advantage is, is that you're going to take what you learn and that means that your solution is going to be that much better versus you trying to predict up front because software has proven to us, software development has proven to us, it's unpredictable. Whatever you think, it's like right. you try to cover all the bases, you peel back and you start getting in there, you're going to have surprises. So, you know, you, you, you want to look at the big picture, take your experience and, you know, with your architects and team leads, try to identify up front, try to do a few of your spikes but you're not going to have all of your answers, and that's okay. That Those are the, some of those things that play into that, that mindset, and, and you continuously have to say it's okay to feel uncomfortable for sure. Yep. And, you know, and that's why, you know, it goes to the Joshua's Modern Agile thing around making safety a prerequisite. That's That's part of it, right? It's like that you know if something happens, you're not going to um, – you know, get fired or, you know, be kicked off the team or looked at differently. And I forgot if it was, 
Yeah, I forgot if it was his presentation or another keynote, but he was talking. They were talking about a um, a really a high end restaurant, I think, in Italy, um, and one of the the desserts was um, uh, what was it? It was some lemon something. I don't know. Um, a lemon lemon tart, you know, dessert, and the they were getting ready to bring it out to the um to the people that ordered it and the sous chef dropped it and it cracked in the plate and kind of had this odd it like totally messed it up it was no longer this beautiful thing and the the sous chef went to the head chef and said hey you know um this happened we don't have any more what are we going to do and he he said oh wait a minute that you know if you look at it at this angle this looks really really cool so (laughs) what they did was take it they were able to get it put it on the plate and they redid it and they redid all the other ones and they smashed them up and you know made them all look like all broken and they they changed the name of it from lemon tart something to oops we dropped the lemon tart and it you know it was a huge (laughs) hit right you know so it's so that to me is that safe environment and not looking at everything is uh, oh this is a mistake that okay what can we do with it from here um and I think that's what, you know, and that's why this is hard, right? This is difficult and people are scared. And in organizations, you know, I, we talk to so many people in organizations and they're always like, oh, you know, my company's risk adverse. They don't want mistakes. They want everything right all the time. Um, and it's hard to, you know, to all of a sudden just one day, you know, say, go agile, guys. <laughs> if well, it's not that easy, right? I mean, we had, to your point, there's like years and years of culture that, um, and and a lot of it might be perception too, that are out there that you just can't overnight uh, flip a switch, but you got to start trying things. And, and if you go back to that modern agile components, if you try to stick to those concepts, then that's a good way to um, get the team headed in the right direction. No, completely, completely agree. Well, I, I mean, I, I, everything that that we kind of covered and that that you know, um, you said came up in the conference. It's interesting because in parallel, as I was at client sites or working with clients, you know, same thing um, that that I see in the real world from the struggle about the the product owner. I do see, you know, even that that paralysis as well and one one form of paralysis that i also see is where people start that waterfall to agile um transition but what i find is that um they get comfortable with the the transition and don't keep pushing forward to continue Mm. to kind of really hone in and really, and, and what I feel is really get the benefits of Agile. So they, they stay in limbo too long. That's a form of paralysis too. And that, again, you know, that going in and doing kind of an excess assessment and even sometimes doing an intervention saying, keep moving forward. You're, you know, it's like you're missing <laughs> the promised land because, you know, you, you, you've gotten out of, you know, whatever harm's way, and, and but you're still in the, middle middle land and not all the way over there to where the real promise of agile you really seeing the advantage 
And you don't know that because you, you've never seen a full Agile implementation. But someone else, even a, a third party, and sometimes, you know, I can see it and observe it in the workshops that I do, like, okay, you guys are going in the right direction, but now we've got to keep moving. We've got we to gotta push through, lean into some discomfort just one more time, and then you'll really see that breakthrough because there's, there's, there's a lot that Agile can bring to the table. So that, I, I want to, you know, throw that out there too. You know, paralysis, it, it comes in many forms, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, you know, I know you, you're a big proponent um, around, you know, yes, there's like the, the retrospectives every, you know, sprint or iteration, but constantly then look at some bigger issues on a monthly or quarterly basis and see how you're improving. Um, you're right. I think, you know, teams, it, and part of it's human nature, right? It's like, especially if you're going through this transition, there's a lot of change, there's uncertainty, you're, you know, on edge, potentially, you're excited at certain points, and you just, at some point, you're like, you know what, can't we just level out for a little while? Um, But I think then, you know, teams just get back in that rut, right? Um, Yeah. You know, we always talk about, you can't accept, well, this is just the the way we've always done things. Um, But it, it's just, uh, it's comfortable. Um, and, and there's, you know, teams have to realize, you know, is this a good time or should we chill out for a little while? Let's not throw anything new into the mix for a little bit. Um, I actually got pushback today from my team or some people on my team, because we're, we're going through this uh, system transition. Um, and one of the other system we use that really doesn't happen that often. I think you were on the email I sent around because we use Sococo to communicate and collaborate together. They upgraded and a while ago, but we never did it. And I was like, hey guys, I just talked to them. Let's let's update Sococo. Um, and I got pushback saying, can we just chill for a second? We're just reeling mm-hmm. from, you know, the, the other mm-hmm, system. Mm-hmm. Can we just not have one new, one more new system to learn? Um, so, um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and even for me, I was like, oh, this is easy because I upgraded already. So I was there and thought it was really easy. But, you know, I you got to kind of figure out um, you can't get into that paralysis. I totally agree. Um, but there you also have to, you know, back to what you were saying earlier, you have to read the team and understand, OK, is this a good time to to rock the boat again? Or, or how many things can we switch up at a given time? Exactly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Cause I, I see that. I hear that from clients because sometimes, you know, even as, you know, agile's going, you know, they're doing an agile transformation. In other cases, I think where there, there's other things that are going on in the organization as well. You know, one was they were changing people's titles and roles and, and re-level setting that some HR initiative. Um, something else was going on. They were doing their, you know, windows 10 upgrade and, you know, so they were like, every, right. everything yeah. was in motion. And they were like, look, we can't. And, and, and one of the things I said is like, well, every retrospect doesn't have to be a major change. Some just be just kind of a leveling off and just a, a checking the pulse. And then, like you said, and, and so make it make it work for you um, and, and that type of thing. And, and I often tell people, because they'll ask me some questions, and I'm always about, yep, there's exceptions to an agile I'm all about, yep, there's exceptions to rules, but don't just get comfortable. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, we haven't done a retrospect in, you know, 
10 months or 10 sprints. <laughs> right, and it's right. like, yeah, we just stopped doing them. We don't remember why, <laughs> you know, so that's <laughs> yep. what I, my, my caution to them, you know. Yeah. But um, but could we have um, – Can I ask? Can I you ask know, you one we thing? We have a lot of catching up to do, and, and, and we filled up our, our hour and a half here. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing because you made me think of something, and I had a conversation with a friend um, at Agile 2016 about this. He was – and I know you've bumped up against this. So in the last you know three minutes or so here, um, I wanted to get your take on it. He – he was feeling like the team – he's a, a coach for a large organization. They have like 200 teams kind of out there doing their thing. And, you know, they they do their assessments and they kind of do their retrospectives monthly and quarterly and kind of see where they are. Uh, but they're upper – so the teams kind of are cranking along, and they, they even have identified where, like, development – you know, what's the next big thing that they should try to focus on as an organization, but they're the upper management keeps not keeps, you know, it's not every day, but you know, you know, every six months or, or nine months, a, a major change at the the upper management level. So above the teams kind of comes in mm. and, and then it's like, well, okay, who's the champion now to drive this change? Um, and they got to reconvince, you know, or convince new people. So what's what's your take on that and how that plays into all the stuff we're talking about? You, you know, and, and that's what's so interesting because, you know, that scale, uh, sorry, uh, the safe agile model really is taking agile all the way up to the, the enterprise level. And so there is, you know, it, the nice thing is that you have those different levels stacked on top of each other in a nice handoff, and so, but at the same time, you're expecting, you should be expecting that there's going to be a shift in um, uh, initiatives. Now, some organizations are more volatile than others, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things, and I, I just talked to a, a group is, and I talk about this even when we were talking about our other essential skills, is when there's a, a handoff or someone is handing things down to you, there's got to be rules of engagement. And, you know, and that's what part of SAFE is, is when you have multiple project teams and there's dependencies and interactions. So when new initiatives are coming up, what are the, the rules of engagement? What do I need at a minimum? So at a minimum, I need an identified, you know, what we call epic owner, for example, in SAFE. And you can't hand something off to me if I don't have an epic owner that is going to stand by this and, and stand up for it and then, Point me to the the right resources. F is that important? It's at the top of our queue. This is this is what we need to to engage and um, you know take the team off of what they're they're currently working on. You know the other thing that I do tell teams too that while work is in progress um, is treat every sprint. And this is how I tell them to think about when they um, start prioritizing. Treat every sprint like this is the last time you're going to work on this project. What's the most important thing that I can put in here that if I had to walk away from this, it still provided value to the business? And that's the big difference than other projects at Waterfall. You had projects in flux. If you stopped it on any given day, you just had a bunch of half-done, you know, features and functions. Agile is supposed to be where you're delivering things in, in a way that there's, there's value associated as you go along. So when, I, when I've worked with teams and, and I've said that, I did that with because I have been in, in um, environments where 
One day this was the number one priority, all attention on this. Next thing you know, something else that came along, and they're like, drop everything. Now this is the most important thing, and we're going to pull your most important people off the team to go look into it. And, and so you you start you you really you expect that, and you and you um, you know kind of govern yourself accordingly. But uh, does that kind of com- capture or, or at least give some kind of inkling? Maybe we have to deep dive into that uh, on a whole nother episode. But that's just that is the the reality, and I have I have seen those environments. But you thought so? We, we, do we need to get into that? A little bit yes. more and make yes. that our so next actually, topic? Maybe that's part of our next topic. Actually, you took that at a different angle than I expected um, in, in that you were talking about that new management might come in and have different views on the projects or the, the work that the teams are doing. Um, and they need to that's, – that's a part of it too. I was actually – this uh, my friend's situation was where it was more from – you know, the learnings from the retrospectives and their assessments to say, here's what, here's the next piece of, of stuff that, that we need to develop as an organization to get better and not, and those executives having now, having different opinions of, of what we should develop or having to convince those executives to, to buy into and, you know, pay and, and support those changes. So, um, yeah, you yeah, actually I took did. a different yeah. angle. Yeah, Maybe you know, that's which, a whole other. Which was actually, I think, which was actually cooler than the angle I was going at. So I like that. <laughs> well, and, that, and, that's and, and I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and maybe I, I had a flashback. Something you said made me had a flashback to one of my my <laughs> workshops. So maybe that's that's how I ended up down that road. But I, yeah, I can totally see that as well. Is that the um, you know management buying into the continuous development of these teams and, and, and that, that feedback. And that just goes to is that, you know, management understanding what their role is. And you're right, I, I did a, a real in-depth assessment of uh, one of the, the teams that I had a workshop with, and the top ten things was things that management needed to understand what is what Agile required of them. <laughs> and that, right. you know, them – you know, being being making sure that there was an environment for these people that you've invested this money, you said we're going in this direction, but you at the top, you got to step back, you've got to empower, you've got to be ready for, you know, that that type of thing. So maybe even sometimes I, I could see an executive improv class to kind of loosen them up a little oh. bit because sometimes I find the most most oh, yeah. common thing is that the reins are way too tight which these are supposed to be self-governing teams. So if I come to you and say, hey, this is what we, we need, this will make us better, you, you've got to give them some leeway. But you know what? I think I think there's a lot more to this for sure. Yeah. let's. Uh, I know we're up against the, the clock. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so I we're, we're going to cut it off here. Thank you, everyone who joined us, stayed with us, and or those who pick up the, the recording later on and listen. Uh, again, this is Coop, BTT Training, and myself, Jacqueline uh, Sanders, Blackman uh, of, of Requirements Pro. If you're on Twitter, uh, hit us up. We'd like to hear from you, like to hear what you think of the show at any point in time. Uh, if you've got a topic that you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. And with that, Javon, would you wrap us up for another episode of Ask the Analyst, and we'll see everyone next time.
This episode is sponsored by and features B2TTraining.com. B2T Training has trained and equipped almost 15,000 of the most successful and high-performing practitioners of business analysis since the year 2000. Our courses are developed and taught by the most respected and highest qualified experts in the industry. We know that transforming the way you and your team perform business analysis is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And we understand that your business analysis practice has unique problems and deserves a unique program offering. Using our holistic approach, we will identify the pain points that will result in the best opportunity for your team or organization to realize the change they're trying to achieve. Change begins with knowledge and skills. Our learning of You have been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. For a full list of our podcasts, social media handles, and upcoming shows, visit our web portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. Join our text club and get monthly alerts of upcoming events and initiatives. Text the phrase, full steam ahead, to 41411. Financial support and donations of any denominations are welcome. Your contributions help us sustain and reach undeserved communities who benefit from the many programs, role models, and technologists that we showcase. Thanks to our sponsors, partners, and thank you, our listeners. And remember, we encourage you to listen, learn, leverage, launch. 